Welcome to Business Masters, the podcast that gives you direct access to world-leading experts on key business issues. To be the first to know about future shows and to access even more exclusive content, visit businessblueprint.com and subscribe today. Hello, it's Dale Beaumont here from Business Blueprint and welcome to another Business Masters podcast. Today I'm talking with corporate anthropologist Michael Henderson and our topic is how to create a high performance culture in your business. Uh, Michael, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure, Dale. All right, so tell me, how did you get into doing the work that you do today for companies? Accidentally, um, I have a degree in anthropology, uh, finished there and went uh, studying tribes in South America and Africa and kept running out of money. So heading back to London and doing commission-only sales for corporates back in London before I went back to the tribes. And in the course of doing that, suddenly started to dawn on me that the tribes had absolutely cracked culture, actually knew how to work with it and make it work for people. But every time I came back to London and went into a business environment, I found that uh, people didn't really pay attention to culture and it wasn't working well. There was a lot of uh, toxic behavior and attitudes going on. So it just dawned on me that there was an opportunity to move into using the anthropological skills in a business setting. Mm, Very fascinating. So um, tell me about what does culture actually mean to you? How do you describe it? And and because it is a word that oftentimes is used quite a lot and sometimes overused in the corporate world, people just use it as a kind of like a band-aid word to describe a lot of different things. What does it mean to you? Yeah, you're so right, Dale. It's, it's sort of got a very generic phrase now, hasn't it? What it means to me is uh, fundamentally it means what it means to be human here. And the word here obviously applies to wherever you happen to be at the time when you hear that phrase. So inside an organization, it would mean what it, what it means to be human inside that organization. Organizations often um, rather simplistically refer to cultures, and I'm sure you've heard the phrase, the way we do things around here. And I'm more inclined to encourage my clients to think of it not as the way we do things around here, but more as the why we do it this way around here. So culture has a very strong motivation and meaning element to it, which is expressed and captured when we answer the question, why are we doing this in the first place? Mm. And when you say that the, the tribes, which you studied, kind of have it, have it figured out, um, what are some of the things that you'd learned from, um, from those tribes that actually have application in the business world? Well, first of all, they're master storytellers. So they, at the end of every workday, they sit round the fireplace and they check in with each other to hear how the day has gone. And in response to a question, if you and I were sitting around the fire this evening and you were obviously working in a different area of the tribe, maybe you'd been out hunting all day and maybe I'd been thatching the roof of the huts. So I'd just say, Dale, how did the hunting go today? And you'd tell me the story about how you'd used your spear to try and take down a buffalo, but the spear hadn't proved to be effective. And so it dawned on you that you need a stronger, bigger spear, etc. And so what happens is that in the course of generation after generation of people learning how to live effectively together, the tribes master the ability to share stories, to educate one another, inspire one another, and create a sense of belonging together. Whereas I find in businesses, most of the storytelling is from the business out to the marketplace through branding and PR and advertising. And we've overlooked this huge opportunity to actually get uh, that communication going inside the business as well to improve staff engagement, motivation, and obviously address address any challenges or problems we're facing. 
All right, now, before we get into some tips, I know you've got five tips prepared for us, which I'm excited to get into. To make this, this interview really, uh, I suppose, humanize it a little bit, can you give us sure. a, some examples of maybe one or two companies that you've observed that are really doing the culture thing well? And, um, and, and if you could not use the example of Apple, which uh, every person <laughs> seems to, seems to yeah. use for everything now, for creativity, for innovation and things like that, what are some companies maybe that uh, we know and maybe other companies that we don't know? Sure. Um, so let, let me start with a couple of Australian ones, since that's where you're based. Um, so a couple I'd pick out in Australia straight away would be Kennard's Hire. Mm. I'm sure if you've driven around your local neighbourhood, you've probably got one of their hire sites somewhere nearby. Yes. Um, and they have a culture that is, for an organisation that just basically leases out hire equipment for you to do your home repairs, etc., they have an incredible culture for actually connecting with people, understanding the needs, making sure that people are aware of their safety requirements around using their machinery. And in order to be able to do that effectively, they've had to learn how to really, really work together uh, on site as a team to ensure that any time a customer walks onto the site that safety is constantly uh, reminded to the customer because they don't want the responsibility or obviously the tragedy of hearing anything goes wrong with the equipment. So they're an example of where leadership in the organization has taken culture seriously, embraced it and ensured that it operates right down to grassroots level and obviously customer interface. So that would be one example. Another example is the Lantern Legal Group in Melbourne. Um, this is a law firm. And law firms can sometimes end up with a reputation for not having a good workplace culture at all. It becomes very competitive, very hierarchical, and very status-based. Whereas Lantern seems to have taken the attention that normally gets sucked inside an organization as, almost as a competitive element within the culture and turned it into a really collaborative element. So when you go and work at Lantern Legal Group, you really feel like no matter who you are in there, that you're really contributing something significant both to the organization but also to Victorian uh, society and Australian sort of uh, organizations as well. So they've done it very, very well. And any others from a global perspective? Yeah, definitely. And I hear what you say about apples. I'm, I'm actually uh, not that impressed with uh, apple culture, potentially to the extent that everyone else maybe would be. My two favorite cultures in the US would be Zappos which is the online uh, shoe company. So they do for shoes what Amazon does for books and mm. electronic goods. And in fact, Amazon just bought Zappo uh, uh, recently and the, the Wall Street sort of queried why on earth would Amazon buy Zappos? And the CEO came out and made a very public statement saying, we bought Zappos for its culture. So it's not that they necessarily want to get into shoes and distributing shoes, but Zappos just has an incredibly... Uh, powerful workplace culture where people just are thriving in that place, love working there and deliver outstanding levels of customer service. The other one in the, the USA I would highlight is, I don't know if you're familiar with them, is Tom's Shoes. Mm. I'm actually um, wearing them right now. Well, good to hear. <laughs> Me too. Well done. Well done. So again, that, that culture is bordering on, um, they don't really even have employees. They've almost got fanatics working in there. And the thing to do would be to honor that, that company, go look that up online and understand the background story, which you're obviously aware of, Dale. Mm. Um, but anyone listening to the podcast, be really worthwhile just Googling Tom's shoes and reading the backstory, and you'll see immediately why people love working there and how they get on so well. Awesome. Well, that's uh, got me very excited now to get into these uh, five tips. So uh, let's get into tip number one. Yeah, the first one is educate your people about culture. 
Uh, you made the point earlier that organ every organization has a culture. It's just nobody necessarily pays attention to it. My first tip, if you want to create a high-performance culture, it's very, very important that everybody in your organization understands what culture is, where it comes from, how it forms, who leads it, and how and why it changes. So the education piece is absolutely critical. And once you get that, we are then in a position to move on to the second sort of tip I would give you, which is to empower ownership of culture. At the risk of pointing out the obvious, culture belongs to people. It doesn't belong to the organization. So when your people go home at the end of the workday, the culture goes with it. And if you're lucky, it comes back with them the next day. So it's really important that we help people understand, once they've been educated to understand what culture is, that they also recognize that the, they own it. And this is important because a lot of organizational cultures, when things aren't going so well, it might be silo mentality or people are sort of not working effectively together. What we often find in organizations is the people who will blame HR or their manager or their leadership team for the fact that, that the culture is not working well. And in reality, the culture actually belongs to them. So it's very, very important, the second step, that we remind everybody in the organization that they themselves are the culture. I want to just talk, really talk about that because as a business owner, a lot of uh, owners would believe that they're in control of everything um, <laughs> yeah. and would like to think that they can, they can control the, the culture and bend it to their, to, to their will. Um, is it something that, um, that leadership sh leaders should try and manage or or kind of um or not yeah it's a fair question dale bluntly you can't control or manage culture all you can do is inspire it so culture is a is an organic social contract if, um where people just agree to behave believe and belong in a particular manner so those three those are the three ingredients of a culture is what do we agree to believe in how do we agree to behave with one another and what determines whether somebody belongs here or they don't belong here. So, Well, let's just say that if, if it can't be sort of controlled per se and shouldn't be controlled, what happens if there is a culture of people arriving late to work consistently and it is affecting productivity? Um, what, 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 it exists, um, but you're not happy with it. What should you do to, to turn it around? Yeah, good example. So the, in that case, there's a game, with, although you can't control that because people can still turn up late tomorrow, even if you told them they're going to be sacked if they, if they do, they can still choose to be sacked and turn up late or turn up late and be sacked. So what you would do is, again, and come back to that inspire, is you'd remind people why we work here, what each of our roles is in the organization and why each of our roles is so important a contributing factor to delivering customer service or delivering products to the customer. And so you come back to why we're all here in the first place and remind each other that, that we've made a commitment, a collective commitment to serve others to the best of our ability. And then based on that, you would then come back to the punctuality issue or the fact people turning up late and just say, so can you see how turning up late is absolutely sabotaging our ability to serve each other and serve the customers effectively? So it's, it's just reminding people that you start with the inspire bit first rather than just trying to control people's behavior. All right. Well, let's uh, get on to the, the next tip. Sure. The, the next tip is fundamentally you've got to decide what sort of culture you want. Cultures happen organically. So you're going to end up with a culture one way or another anyway. And it's really, really important that you make a very deliberate decision as to what type of culture you want to have in your business. 
And fundamentally, you're going to come down to three choices. You can have what's called a control culture, which is something like the US Marines would opt for, where you agree that somebody being in complete control of all behavior at all times is critical to save lives. You can have a relating culture, which is where you agree that the best way the organization can serve its market and its customers is through really effective, empathetic relationships. So there's a high degree of emphasis on relating effectively to other people. Or you can create what's called a development culture, which is what Apple have, where you're not necessarily the nicest people to work with, and you don't necessarily go for a lot of control in terms of controlling employees. What you're looking for is the next great idea, the next person, and empowering the next person to come up with the next iPod concept. So you've got to decide which of those three cultures serves you best, control, relate, or develop. Okay, interesting. Are we up to number four now? That's right. Okay, yeah, go for it. So once you've decided and the control, relate, or develop, the control um, culture is very much one that's designed to deliver on a business strategy of operational excellence. So uh, Cheap Auto would be an example where they're trying to offer a low price, so they would offer a control culture because they want to be in control of all the hidden costs in the business. For a relationship culture, you're obviously trying to get customer intimacy or customer focus as your major strategic intent. And for a development culture, you're actually trying to do product leadership. So in other words, you've got the latest, greatest new technology going out. So the fourth step is to align your culture to the business strategy. And when you're actually deciding which culture to go for, the business strategy has got to be taken into consideration because although culture is more powerful than strategy, in other words, it has more influence over people's behavior and their performance than strategy does, ideally you want to align the culture to the strategy so that the culture is actually in service to the business strategy. So that fourth one is make sure that the culture is aligned to the strategy. All right, fantastic. And, um, and number five? Number five is celebrate. Once you've got a culture up and running and it's working well for you, uh, in other words, customers are delighted, staff are fulfilled and enjoying their work and performance is high, then you want to celebrate that. And we do that through symbols. So that can be through having a symbol that represents uh, certain targets being achieved or that when you operate well, you operate under a particular uh, symbol. Um, for example, one of my clients is the All Blacks, and we use the silver fern on the black jersey as a symbol of being together and representing the nation. So you celebrate through symbols is a really, really powerful way of getting people to recognize the bonded effort that they're putting together. The second thing you do is tell stories, and that's what we were talking about earlier, Dale, when we're discussing tribal stories and sharing stories about what's working and what's not. And the third one is through rituals, and rituals are significant events that get celebrated in a symbolic manner. So that could be a new person joining the organization um, is allowed to introduce themselves to the team and explain why they've chosen to work here, what they hope to bring. It could also be when somebody is leaving your organization, so they're retiring or they've gone on maternity leave, you have a ritual or a, some sort of s simple ceremony just for people to experience each other as fellow human beings rather than just getting caught, in up, caught up in the work effort. So that celebrating culture and the sense of being belonging together is really, really important. And I'm just fascinated by the idea of, of rituals. Can you tell us what are some, some other rituals that, that either other companies use or that things that we, we could be doing in our business? Yeah, look, one of my favorites, to be honest, in terms of sales, so a real commercial advantage out of a ritual 
you probably uh, come across uh, top sales performers that get awarded at you know the annual sales conference, and in some organisations, some of the some of the awards and things they win are, are phenomenal. You know, trips overseas on cruises or sports cars, or I've even heard of organisations paying off the top sales performer mortgage. Um, so just just staggering sort of things. One of the things I've always been a, a big fan of is uh, I introduced a number of years ago. Uh, this was ages ago working in London, the ritual of celebrating your most improved salesperson. Because mm. what I normally find is when you celebrate the top salespeople, typically those top salespeople don't change an awful lot. So if you've got 10 salespeople in your sales team, it's that old 20-80 rule. Two of them are likely to be the top performers most of the time, and the remaining eight are moderate to poor. And so one of the things I love introducing is a ritual of celebrating the most improved salesperson for a particular month. Mm. Because the moment people realize that they can get awarded for their most improved, it means that I may even be the newest member of the team. Maybe I only joined your sales team this week. But if I can even just get one sale in this week, it means I've gone from zero to one, which is kind of like you know, a significant improvement, or from one to two, which is 100% improvement. And that recognition spurs me on to do more. But the most important thing is it encourages the eight out of 10 people that normally have given up and not trying for the top award to actually push harder and, and try and achieve that. So I'm a real big fan of uh, ritualizing the celebration of improved performance rather than just top performance. Mm. What else are you a big uh, fan of? I just love the idea of celebrating and ritualizing the customer. So let me give you some examples of that. I think it's really, really important that we invite our customers into the business, you know, maybe as a morning tea event where they just come in and talk for 10 or 15 minutes about what it's like to be a customer of your organization because there's nothing like seeing the emotion of somebody through their tone of voice, their body language, their expressions that can't be captured through, a, say, a formal survey to see how you're going. And it really hits home and reminds you of just of the importance of your work and how it's impacting on other people's lives out there. A second ritual I love is whenever you're interviewing for a new staff member to come on board, just consider bringing in one of your customers to sit as part of the interview panel. So I really encourage my clients, whenever they're hiring any new staff, that they go through the formal recruitment process that they normally do, but just as they're getting to the tail end, when they're pretty confident they've selected the right person, they allow a customer to actually sit in and interview the new uh, uh, person joining the organization as well, just so that the person gets a sense of what this organization is all about and the fact that they do take customers that seriously. And I've just seen some amazing transformations of people applying for work when they've actually got to sit and listen to a customer interviewing them prior to actually even taking on the job in terms of improved motivation or a real sense of urgency about doing the job well or in some cases <laughs> choosing not to take the job but for the right reason. Fantastic. Love that. We're going to have to wrap up very soon. Any sort of final thoughts or, or words of advice before we close? Yeah, I guess the most simple thing, Dale, I'd say for anybody, any organization wanting to create a high-performance culture is that you've got a culture already. If there's more than two of you inside your organization, in other words, there's three or more people working inside your company, you already have a culture. So it's worthwhile just taking the time and the effort to understand what that culture is in terms of what is the purpose of you working together, who do you want to be seen as in the marketplace, in other words, what do you want to become famous for? 
maybe selecting a group of values that you agree to adhere to and work together. So in other words, give some real thought and deliberate attention to your culture. Research has shown that on average, your organization's culture is eight times more impactful on the performance of your organization than even your business plan is. So it's, it's really worthwhile paying attention to rather than ignoring. Mm, fantastic. Love that. Fantastic. Good, good uh, quote to finish. Uh, we're going to wrap up now. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you, Michael. Thanks so much for your time. And uh, if people want to contact you, they can visit your website, which is cultures, with an S, culturesatwork.com. That's where you can find out more about Michael Henderson and also how he works with companies to help them to create a high-performance culture in their business. Michael, thanks again. My pleasure, Dale. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another Business Masters podcast. To access more great content or to download your free business plan template, visit businessblueprint.com.